All right, hello and welcome to RealCom's second webinar in our CRE Tech Innovation Series. I'm Chuck Neiswanger, president of NiceNets Consulting, your RealCom host and moderator for today's webinar, Real Estate Automation Technologies. Thank you for tuning in to the live session or viewing this as a recording. The focus for this webinar is a look back at automation over the last 12 months, but we'll also touch on some of the what's coming in terms of business process automation in the future and certainly in 2023. But before we get started, let me go over a few housekeeping items to help you have a great webinar experience. Thank you again to the live audience. We do encourage you to use the Q&A box on the left of your screen to submit questions or comments. It's always better when you are an active participant. We love hearing from you and we'll try to get to all your questions. But if we don't get them answered during the webinar, We'll follow up with you once the event is concluded. In the handout section, you'll find more detailed bios of our panelists and some highly informative slides our panelists have submitted, whether we use them or not during the discussion. And for the best webinar experience, we do recommend closing out any other internet applications, especially streaming videos. We'll most likely touch on artificial intelligence, machine learning, and robotic process automation, but not likely in the context of iRobot or Ex Machina. So stay with us, you'll learn a lot more. If you are experiencing any technical issues with connectivity, sound, or video quality, the best thing to do, as we found it today, is to disconnect and to click on the webinar link again. You can also email ian at ithompson, that's I-T-H-O-M-P-S-O-N, at realcom.com for help during the event. But don't worry, you won't miss anything since you will receive a link to the webinar recording later today. This educational webinar is supported by our outstanding sponsors, Predict AP automates invoice capture using artificial intelligence, helping you reclaim time lost on manual repetitive tasks. It works seamlessly with your existing AP workflow automation to ingest and fully code invoice in seconds. Let's watch a quick video and you'll learn a little bit more. Everything in real estate accounts payable has been automated, except invoice coding. Coding invoices for approval and payment still relies on manual data entry. It's slow, error-prone, and just not scalable. Predict AP was founded by real estate insiders to automate invoice coding. They tried everything else first, OCR, outsourcing, but every solution fell short of actual coding. Predict AP fully automates invoice coding for real estate companies. Unlike other solutions, Predict AP provides fully coded invoices ready for your existing automated AP workflows. It works with your current AP automation system so you can keep the workflow you already trust. Your AP team can review the coded invoices, revise or accept our predictions, and send to your AP workflow with one click. Get your AP team out of the data entry business and onto higher value work. Automate invoice coding with Predict AP. Very good. Uh, we are so grateful for the contributions by our vendor sponsors to our industry, to Realcom, and to helping us educate our viewers in sessions just like these. If you're ready to start operating at scale with improved speed, efficiency, and compliance, I do recommend checking out Predict AP as part of your vendor evaluation process. 
As mentioned, I am Chuck Nicewanger, president of NiceNets Consulting and longtime partner with the Realcom team. I'll be your moderator for today's discussion on notable, innovative, and progressive IT and business back office automation solutions. And we'll also speculate a little bit on what's likely to come next. Before we get started, let's take a quick poll to see who we have in our audience. It's very easy. You just find the position that is closely resembles where you're at, and that'll give us a, a sense of the, the distribution in our live audience group. I wish we could poll more, but that's, uh, you know, this, this, this is where we are today. So uh, go with that. All right, uh, I have one other question for you as the live audience, and then we'll review the results in just a few minutes. But uh, let me see what you think will be your company's number one technology focus for 2023. I put four of the ones that are probably gonna be in the top five of most companies, but if there's something else, um, after we get going, uh, send it through the Q&A. If there's something you think your company technology-wise is gonna be focused on uh, starting at the start of the year. All right, is that good? Hopefully everybody had uh, enough time to fill that out. We will we'll review the results of that in just a few minutes. But let me set the stage, if you if you don't mind, with just a few comments before I bring on our panel. And I think we've all heard it so many times that commercial real estate typically lags on the other industries when it comes to technology adoption, business process automation, and even innovation. As a consultant, I've spoken with company executives who viewed process automation as an unnecessarily large waste of time and money given that their buildings were upwards of 95% occupied and tenants were paying on time. You might react to that statement and you, you'd probably be right. Another senior executive told me that, the, that they had calculated that every, for every three buildings they purchased, they needed to add one asset manager, one account, and one analyst. And during that discussion, I emphasized that we should be using technology to operate at scale with efficiency and precision doing more with less. And prior to 2020, many CRE executives would only occasionally allow work from home. However, I think it's taken 30 years, a global pandemic, record inflation levels, a massive shift in the purpose of coming to the office, aggressive cyber hacking, and a worldwide focus on climate change to transform the culture and priorities of many of these commercial real estate companies. Old, inefficient ways of working are not being tolerated by young employees. They just go elsewhere. Tenants are renegotiating lease agreements, returning millions of square feet to landlords, and cap rate expansions are a shining beacon on the need to automate everything, eliminate inefficient processes, reduce headcount when needed, and optimize every aspect of your business. The way we've always done it can't be the way we're going to do it. Our panelists are gonna explore several aspects of their own automation efforts. And since you've chosen to view this webinar, again, I commend you, but I do recommend using it as a learning experience and a call to action. I also encourage all of you to consider how your technology journey might benefit the entire Realcom community. We learn from each other, we learn by sharing, we learn by 
conversations, we learn by community. So um, feel free to uh, participate in these webinars, the RealCom conference, I'll talk about that more later, and, uh, and, and contact any of the RealCom team to get involved. So that's my open. Let me bring in our panel. Um, we have Zuei Yu. She's the lead enterprise application developer at Phillips Edison. We have Sundar Papu, senior vice president of technology and strategy for Inland Real Estate Group. And David Stifter, founder of Predict AP and managing director of Digital Bridge, formerly Colony Capital. So um, welcome to everyone. Let's let's go ahead and turn your cameras on and um, and and unmute yourself. But let's take a quick look at the polling results of the who we have in our audience. Nearly 50 people in the audience, I see. So a lot of technology innovation, so that's that, that's expected. Um, and property management, ESG. Always we always get a mix of ESG in our executive team. So I think uh, again you can address some of those specifically, and I think we'll have some good conversations that help that relationship uh, that relationship get defined. Let's take a quick look at what people said was their number one reason for tuning in today so they're good 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 to know that since we're talking about inefficient business processes it's a good uh, good group Cybersecurity is is in net zero uh carbon is going to be an automated process that i think everybody's going to struggle with um glad we hit it you know that that's the top four then if there's nothing else but uh so that's good all right bring the panel back on all right, Zue, you from Phillips Edison. Let's start with you. Give us a little background, uh, how you got to where you are and uh, what you're working on today, and then we'll jump right into it. Sure. Uh, my name is Zue. I'm a lead applica application developer with uh, in the IT department with a company. I have been with the company for about 10 years, and prior joining the IT department, I was a corporate accounting manager. So very glad to be here to have this discussion with everybody. In my current role, I help with the business departments in their um, process automation, reporting, and data analysis effort. Excellent. All right. And we have Sundar Papu from England. Thanks, Jack. Uh, my name is Sundar Papu. Uh, I lead, uh, I'm the head of technology strategy uh, at the Inland Real Estate uh, Group. Um, so in my role, I basically look at you know, where the business problems are and try to see how we can be able to help our businesses uh, grow. Excellent. All right, David Stifter. Hey, everyone. Uh, very similar to Sunder and Zway, uh, my, my role at, at Digital Bridge for the past 17 years is in formally calling capital, is how to, how to solve problems. And that's a mix of uh, process and, and, and how we do things and, and technology uh, that, we, that we bring to bear. And so uh, Predict AP was something born out of Frustration with one of those processes, but my background's been accounting and, and, and technology and making things work. Fantastic. I think uh, given given the crowd that we have here, I think it's going to be good. I do see uh, one person, Nicole Harshberger, uh, did uh, chime in another area that they're going to be focusing on. So if we decide we want to uh, address that a little bit is the uh, IoT and integrated smart building technology through Division 25 and Smart Score, So uh, I think some of that too could be related to um, gathering data for e ESG and net carbon zero reporting. So uh, we'll, we'll go with that. Uh, Zoe, let me start with you. Um, 
how, what was your what was your main focus when it came to automation? Where did when when did you reach a point where you're like we can't work this way anymore? What was the process and what did you focus on? Uh, right. So our main focus is to help uh, business to look look at their pain point that what's their bottleneck of creating the the manual work or um, non-existent data that hinders their process to improve efficiency. And one example I can give is our uh, bank reconciliation process in the for the accounting team. At one point, we uh, that's about seven or eight years ago when I joined the accounting team, we were handling bank reconciliation manually. We manually print out bank statements, look at transactions on the screen manually, clear them off. And it worked a while because we didn't have as many properties and cash transactions. As the company expanded, we got more bank accounts and we got a more bigger volume of cash transactions and then processes just became very painful and burdensome for the team. And it used to take the um, a team from 15 to 20 spending days in their months and close process. And it, it just wasn't practical unless you want to, like, like you said, if we want to hire more people, but sometimes more people means more expenses and it's just not necessarily feasible. Yeah, I think I, I think that's an interesting piece. Now, uh, at that time, was your main ERP also, M, uh, was it MRI? Yes. Okay. All right. And and so um, when, you know, I think you brought up something interesting, too, and I just want to stay with it just for a second. Sure. There was a conversation that was had between technology and the business. So that implies a partnership between technology and the business. They wanted to hear what you had to say and wanted to see how we could solve this together. How was that from a partnership, teamwork, business technology? How did that evolve or was it always that way? It, it's definitely a journey for us to um, to get to where I we are today. That just if I look back how when I first started in the accounting department, how we managed our task and look at how people do things today, it's a drastic difference. Um, if um, our current bank reconciliation is handled by Kriba, our uh, treasury platform, which is a very automated process. We have one part-time employee handles the entire, the whole reconciliation of over 70 bank accounts, I think. And some are very large bank accounts with two, more than 200 properties attached to just the, the volume of transactions are very big. And at the beginning, the department, when we first implemented the uh, treasury uh, Kariba, we the uh, accounting team actually looked into Kariba and decided it wasn't worth the effort to do the to build the integration. There was um, the concern of I, I think losing control might be the sentiment back then. It's when you do things manually, you you feel you are in control. You know exactly how things happen. You know exactly. Uh, what you're doing, but if you automate it, a lot of things just happen behind the scenes and you just don't know what happened if everything is handled correctly. But um, over the time, the team did more automation and uh, saw the benefits and result. it became more embrace, embrace the technologies more. 
And then also, like you said, it just got to the point, it was such a struggle to handle it manually. And we just had to make a change to make it better for everyone. We had, when I was uh, uh, with my former company, before I started consulting, we had a massive spreadsheet that did uh, fund accounting, rolled up accounting, it was complex like anything. Uh, and and uh, one of the things I was always concerned about, about the going into the automation process, and I would think senior executives might find that as well, is what happens if it uncovers an error that has already been recorded? What if there's differences now between the automated part and what the manual part? Did that was that a big concern for your group when you got started? Um, I I think it was some of the conversations that we talked about that uh, this is how we used to do it and that's already reported and um, how we can carry this process to our newly automated process to make sure that we are still in the line that uh, the, the giant express sheets I'm definitely familiar that I automated a process for the accounting team just last year it was a giant it took not even to exaggerate 10 minutes just to open it and it often crashes and froze the people's computers and that's one of the point we talked about that how we make sure that what's already reported and posted will continue to uh, how we match those two methods and make sure they they follow the exact same logic and, and everything. Okay, good, good. I, I think Zwei, I mean, it's fascinating. I think we're gonna we're gonna come back to to that because I want to hear more about some of your MRI custom development pieces too because I think that's interesting. Sundar uh, with Inland. Uh, you know, having been involved with Realcom for, like I said, 12 years, uh, you and I have crossed paths many times. And yeah. uh, whether it's been on a panel or it's been in a, a, a webinar like this or uh, at the at Realcom events, and I have just always been so impressed with uh, Inland and some of the technology that you're doing. Let let me uh, let, let's talk about a little bit about where where. You know, you said you've been with them for going 11 years. Uh, where where did the where did it start of to say, look, we've got to do this better. We've got we started identifying those areas of inefficiency. So it starts with like and as as what Joe as what as what was mentioned earlier starts with the business basically saying business has an issue. They're looking at being efficient in the way they actually do things. Um, so that's basically where it starts. They don't know how to actually, you know, move forward, and that's where technology is coming in to help bridge that particular gap. And one of the things that we have done is, um, from a technology perspective, we align ourselves with our businesses to understand their problems, but then we bring it back, and then we actually create like small pilot projects that we work on. Um, if we see that there is a need, then we basically bring our businesses back in to actually collaborate and then take it further. Uh, and, and the reason for that is you don't want to bring a business, you know, they're already out there, you know, doing their day-to-day -day job plus, you know, other things. You don't want to actually bombard them with, you know, other things from a technology perspective too. So that's basically been our goal and, uh, you know, it, it actually sometimes we we know it won't work and we basically fail that particular you know project or what we'll, we'll get into that one in a little bit because I I, oh, I do yeah. want, I do want to give people uh, a sense of 
the idea of fail fast, but try try new things and yep. and and learn from each other. One one thing I think that I had heard from you during a discussion was the idea of categorizing business processes. Yep. Can you explain that a little bit? Sure, definitely. I think uh, um, you know. Can we could, can I go to a slide that sure. we can show? Okay. So I think um, Ian, if you can uh, actually. Um, open that up. Sorry. Yeah. So in this particular slide, the way we actually characterize is if it's a if it's a task, a simple task like that says you got to actually do from a point A to point B. You know, it's you know I consider it as a task, right? So, you know, it could be something like an, a simple process like an invoice that comes in. You take the data away from that particular thing. You know, take the data and then put it into your ERP system. So that's a task that I would consider, and that's basically how we categorize things. Flow is like, you know, it. there is a lot of touch points in between a business process, between the different groups, and it has to have some approvals in the, in, in the, in the flow. Um, so that's basically how we look at each business process that we're trying to look into. You know, we then say this is something that basically will be something what we call as business process management, right? So, so that's basically what we look at. And the final thing is like a decision thing. So a decision is where you basically are looking at newer tools like uh, artificial intelligence, for say, or it could be machine learning, or um, in a new thing that you know, Gardner has actually pushed out, which actually makes sense, is something called as decision intelligence, wherein you can actually look back to your previous history, create a model, and then say how, you know, how would you actually take that and move forward? So that's basically how we actually divide this particular landscape. And then now we know which tools will work for which process in this particular area. I'm gonna jump back the way, uh, what, did, did you have this kind of same thing in mind, this, this idea of, tasks, workflows, and then even artificial intelligence, machine learning, something that was decision or predictive or uh, prescriptive analytics? Uh, we definitely have task and flow, and we, we use RPA to handle some of our, some of our tasks, uh, tasks as well. And we have workflow, like for example, service contract, that's a workflow for us to help users create contracts and get approval, get vendor signature and stuff like that. We haven't really tapped into machine learning and uh, AI uh, yet. We are building foundation for future implementation po possibly. Um, uh, currently, we use a lot of uh, BI tools like Power BI to build visuals and to help the management to make decisions, to uh, facilitate their decision making. Yeah, I think a lot of companies, and I'd be interested if someone wants to chime in on the on the Q and A. But a lot of companies sometimes look at the AI, machine learning, RPA as, oh yeah, you know that that's something that those big companies do. Uh, we're never going to get there. We have no interest in that. There's so many, so much more low-hanging fruit that we can satisfy to help optimize processes. Sundar, was that an issue for you where you, you're like, they're like, why are we experimenting with decision-making? We we're, we just want to get the flow right, right? Right. I think, you know, I, you know, as I said earlier, like it's basically you understand the problem. You try it in your technology labs to see if this is something that works. Only if it, you know, if you see that there is some 
something that will make uh, good sense for the business, then you actually go and talk to them and say, hey, by doing this, it could actually save labor effort, or it could actually you know, be productive for their businesses, or it could actually help them to make better decisions on the products that they're actually developing and who to sell and who not to. You know, those are the different things that we can actually talk to them about. David, let me let me bring you in on on this conversation. I know we're going to focus in on one specific process in just a minute, uh, but uh, um, at, at, at uh, Digital Bridge, uh, you, did you start basically the same way? So if if someone is watching this and they're like, okay, we heard it from Zway, we heard it heard it from Sundar, are, are we hearing it from David? Where 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 are we starting? What's the starting point? Yeah, and it, it, I think it to the to the, the same point is is where where's your business hurting, right? And where's the biggest uh, the biggest fire? Where where's the difficulty in it? And and so for investment management firms, you know, public REITs and, and private equity funds that have this, the reality is just a lot of volume moving, you know, moving things around. And so and, and it's also people get hung up on what the technology is, right? But there there could be simple solutions for 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 pretty big problems. And RPA works great for a lot of things, like bank rec, right? It's very effective. And you may not need the the you know the 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 more intense AI ML stuff for a lot of problems. But I think the the what I'm hearing from from Sunder and Zway, which I also at Digital Bridge I saw, is that the industry shifted as well around the nature of of projects, right? You don't need to do this $10 million, 10-year project on that. Sunder's point on failing, failing quickly, and also how you collaborate with the business where you try to take on as much. And Zway's point on building that, um, you know, building the credibility with the business by getting wins, right? Getting that 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 win around bank rec helps you get the next project and the next project where they're then going to give you the attention you need and, and the help. So I think focusing on what are the fundamental issues, what are the easy wins, right? I think, they, you know, the, the term agile, right? Like quick things that you can go in. Does it work? Great. Let's push it. If not, fail quickly. I think we're going to talk on that earlier, but definitely a digital bridge where we had uh, a lot of assets, a lot of international partners and focusing on that back office operations around processing uh, on day to day things really was effective. And once we started to get some wins, then the business was much more um, interested in, in working with us on, on, on bigger projects. Well, I think uh, you said something I want to clarify again to our listening audience. Uh, at the beginning, you were saying meet with the business and find out where the largest pain point is. But then you qualify to say, let's find out where sort of all the pain points are, as many as we can, and find the one that we know we can succeed on, the smaller wins, right? Is that, is, 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 is that probably, that's the way I would advise if I was, don't tackle the giant thing first, because yeah. you might be here a long time spending a lot of resources and then it, then it's the one that fails, right? It's the, yeah, it's the value thing, right? You, you need to, it's a, you don't need to get the biggest thing. That, that's where you have to have your eye on the long-term goal but it's the incremental steps you can get along the way, get those easy wins, get the efficiency, and that's gonna build the credibility and the time. Now you're gaining time you know, with all these wins that you can deal with the bigger things. But I think understanding the business and getting that, uh, getting that the, those early wins will really help you with, with, with the longer term transformation. And Sundar, on this one, I wanna clarify something to our, to our audience too. Uh, in the decision block, uh, process mining, can you and this and content management? Can you describe that a little bit about we, decision automation? We kind of know, and maybe maybe decision automation helps guide us to say, hey, here's based on what we've seen on the data, here's three potential outcomes of this. Now it goes back to a human. I almost think AI in this case is assistive intelligence, not artificial. 
but then can you explain a little bit about process mining and content management? So from a content management perspective, it's basically like, you know, let's say if a person are, you know, like, you know, internal or external, uh, and I, I think this is something that we will, you know, we will probably look into. Uh, again, this is not very high on my uh, list of things to do, but this is an area that I think will will actually provide more value down the lane is, let's say if an individual wants to come, it comes to your website and basically wants to understand what your company does. Right now, they had to go through a big website and basically see what your company does. Uh, think about it as a process wherein an individual, if a if an if a company has like a digital assistant, they can actually be able to tap into a digital you know uh, thing and basically call in and use whether it's an Alexa or a Google assistant and basically get the information you know shown to you, yeah, rather than scrolling through a big website to get what they do. Uh, it can also be another way wherein you can actually you know, bring information back to your end users. Uh, something that we have done, but like, you know, there is much more an extension to what we had done in the past. So uh, that's basically how I look at from a content management perspective. Are you having, is, is Inland having success with AI-based tools right now? Uh, some of it, I wouldn't say all of it. Uh, and I'll explain as to, you know, part of it is like, <clears throat> and this is where I want to qualify things is, from a technology perspective, we think it's the coolest thing, and I basically believe it's a, from a productivity perspective, it increases their thing. But end of the day, it is basically their embracing of that particular solution and then driving for it, right? So, um, you know, that's basically you know that particular concept will still be there no matter what. Um, you still have to actually provide more features and functionality, just like with any other solution that's out there in the marketplace. So good, good. The way you mentioned uh, MRI was your ERP system. Mm -hmm. When you went to look at some of these other components, third party integration, work processes, yes. did you primarily work with MRI consultants or did, was it uh, your, your team or was it a combination of consulting and your, your, your applications teams? Uh, is the prim MRI customization or our own uh, creation in MRI is primarily our team. We have a team of a uh, total 12 de developers uh, on-site and also offshore. And then if third-party integration, sometimes we bring in uh, consultants on to help us because they understand their products better and uh, we build the connections like a Kariba implementation, we had a consultants on. And other um, like VersaPay integration, we also had their help as well. Okay, good. So I just wanted to make that clear again, so our viewing audience knows uh, to identify with, with you, you, you have the advantage of having an in-house development team, right? Yes. Not everyone has that. And so sometimes that can be a real stumbling block for, for the group. Sundar, I'm going to come back to you. I think you've got a couple of quick examples of things that you started, things that you tried. Uh, some worked, some didn't. Let's let's talk through that a little bit. Sure, definitely. Um, I, I think, um, uh, can you go to the next slide? I think uh, in this particular slide, I think this is what we were trying to encapsulate from the previous few minutes. You're seeing a lot more innovation and basically, um, you know, people using 
RPA, whether it's flow or whether it is AI and ML across the real estate industry spectrum within the various areas, right? So uh, you're seeing more and more people actually getting there and to what Chuck, you said at the start of your, uh, at, at, the, at the start, this is where the industry is moving, where we were mostly manual to automating everything. Uh, next slide. Uh, okay. Um, so again, I don't want to spend more time on this, but I just wanted to say how we looked at it. Like, you know, from a, you know, this slide is basically talking to where would we automate, right? So from a real estate process, you're collaborating, you're, you're doing your due diligence on a property, you're evaluating and, you know, everything else down the lane. And then at the end of the day, you basically, you, at some point in the, in, in your process, you basically, you know, sell your fund or you could be selling a part of your property. And that's basically where they automate, you know, you're closing that particular, you know, overall loop itself. Um, can we go to the next slide? And this is where you know, Chuck, I think uh, we were talking about, uh, we'll, we'll skip this slide. Um, from a valuation perspective, so in this particular slide, um, what we did is, uh, this was about four or four years ago, um, four to five years ago, we actually embarked on taking a look at, you know, we have, you know, close to about 20 plus years of data sitting in our databases. We said like, why not we take this data and then build up a, a model that can actually help us with the cash point, you know, providing cash flow analysis and then forecasting and also the valuation piece of it. So in a way, we were trying to mimic what Argus does. Um, so we tried to build this up, and in about eight weeks, we realized this is not the right solution, uh, right way to move about, uh, because we felt that you know, even though we could actually develop this, we would be competing with like a, a giant like Argus and others, wherein they have, you know, that's their core business, and we this is not what we have. I was going to ask you, Sundar, did you decide that this was not a good process because of that, or when the uh, you know when litigation hit your doorstep? <laughs> <laughs> no, it has nothing to do with litigation. Okay, like, good. You, know, you know, like you know, every company can actually create it. Um, I think you know our model is a little bit different, right? So we was looking at using our previous historical data to build up a ML model to drive something forward, uh, and I think we wanted to use more AI and ML to drive some of these processes forward. Um, what we realized is it's not a, a small undertaking, uh, at which point we decided, uh, you know, we know we can do it, uh, but at the same time, it doesn't make sense overall. So at which point we basically said, let's move forward. I like I, I like the, the this this particular example too, and I do want to highlight that for our viewing audiences that this was one that you were allowed to try and the concept of fail fast starts to raise its head is when when do you reach a point to say all right interesting but we're 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 terminating the project did you did did your team make the call yeah so we actually most of these small pilot projects that we do well, we make a decision you know anywhere from about 6 to 8 weeks uh, that's the that's you know you know within the four, for the first 4 weeks if you're if your target goal you're going to meet or not and then if there is some hope then you actually move forward but at some point you have to look at the cost benefit analysis and then say 
you know, this is not the right thing for us. You know, we know we can do this. We have learned some lessons. Let's take those lessons for the future project. Right. And then we one other thing I want to point out again to our viewing audience, this is one of the really the power, I think, of Realcom is the idea of community coming together. You, Inland, went through this process. Everyone doesn't have to go through this process behind you. They can learn from what you've already done and, and by asking questions and by coming to conferences and going watching webinars like this, you can interact directly with resources from all throughout the industry who have tried different things decided that it wasn't right or and why it wasn't right and and called it what it was and moved on let's move on to another uh project that you did that was probably more successful right um and again this is still in in its in its infancy um you know we i wouldn't call it a a win yet right but at least we know using a ai and ml side of things you know you can be able to create something which is a pain point within the asset management and the property management side. Um, most, most companies actually face this, um, you know, with regards to their overall process, um, you know, property, like when, when they start putting their budgets and forecasts for the next year, it takes close to about six months to put the whole thing together. So what we did is we created, we started with only one particular building, and that's the example that you see, we created an AI and ML model. Um, not from a revenue perspective, it's only just from an expense side of things. And what we were able to show here is that the baseline model that we created was better than what a human actually put on their spreadsheets. So that's basically the key takeaway from here. Um, we are adding in more buildings, but the model now basically becomes bigger. So um, so there are some variations that we had to play with, uh, but this is something that we have seen will help if we can all pull together and basically generate a model that will help the industry as a whole. Let me ask an important question. It came to mind earlier and I wanted to find the right place to interject it. Um, a lot of times when companies look at this, they hear, well, we need to go through and do a data cleansing. There's got any of these processes that we're talking about right here. We have to have some kind of data governance up front. Yep. To what degree is that true? It is. Uh, it is. It is uh, the, the highest paramount um, uh, set of things, right? So uh, we actually spend a lot of time, both on the property management side and on the on the data that we saw. We went through a whole rigorous process. We put in a data governance, uh, you know, uh, thing together. We had data owners for each one of these different areas, and we cleansed the data that we have. Um, and that basically drove some of the, you know, what we were seeing, you know, as we went through. And it's pivotal that every group that basically is actually embarking on any ML models are like decision uh, intelligent automation, as what we what we call it, right? So. Um, the data is, is paramount, but at the same time, if you have bad data, you're going to get bad results. So, um, so the data cleansing and making sure that the data is right uh, is the first key element in the process. Let's look at the next process. Sure. Um, I think one of the this this is one of the things that we try. We try. You know, this is a pilot project that we looked at. Um, There's basically a digital twin, um, and you know, many companies have already implemented this. Like, you know. I, I, I was fortunate enough to actually go to a company in uh, Chicago. Um, basically, 
you know, what we had was a very small element. What they had was like a full-blown uh, digital twin um, component where they can actually look at, you know, how much electricity was being used or like how much water was being consumed. Um, if, you know, from a services side of things, you know, which conference rooms basically are, were open and other things like that. All of them together basically will then help in your ESG strategy as you move forward. So that's basically what we wanted to actually uh, see from this particular. Will point. Will you be collecting data from this system in order to uh, do carbon account management, accounting management? Uh, not, you know, like we are not like a big uh, company, but like you know, a company in the sense like we don't have any office buildings and other things, right? So, but at the same time. Um, we will take a look at it, but it's not like, you know, again, we started, we are, we are on our ESG journey right now. We are still in our infancy. Um, but, you know, where the industry is going, we all have to catch up to that. And that's what, you know, at some let's point. Take a quick, let's take a quick look at the financials side. And from a financial transaction perspective, I think uh, this is where I was trying to, you know, the first piece is the basically the invoice processing that I had mentioned earlier. Basically, you have a invoice that comes in, you take that information. In most industry, in, in most real estate companies, it's still a manual process. Uh, we tried a project wherein we can actually pull the data, you know, OCR the data and then put it into a system on, on very small basis. And the second thing is the bank reconciliation thing, uh, as Ray mentioned, um, and David will talk to. You know, we basically have this particular process wherein we created our own tool set using a BPM tool, and that drove the process across. Um, so these are things that you know came from a pain point that the business had, and that's what we moved in. So before we uh, move on to David, because I want to get to his purse, the way. I see bank reconciliation at the bottom of this. That was a big process for you. Did uh, yeah. did you also are did you also look at invoice processing as well? Uh, we did look into invoice processing because AP is a big function I think for any company. And for us, as we acquired more property, as the business expanded, and then that's something that we looked into. We currently use Nexus, and also we have an offshore team that. Um, uh, to our code uh, to help us with coding and all that. Currently, the whole process works well, but there are definitely areas for us to improve, like automatic coding. That's something that would be nice to have. Then uh, we're interested in exploring. Well, well, th that's a perfect segue, David, uh, to talk a little bit about some of the things that you found at Digital Bridge. What were you What were you watching for, and then and what was the uh, process that you went through and the end result of that. Yeah, and and it, it's it's funny because we're all it, it, to your point, Chuck. We're all we're all facing the same problems, you know, exactly yeah. different companies, different industry focuses. But at the end of the day, fundamentally, like real estate, you collect a lot of money, you pay a lot of bills, you you reconcile a lot of bank accounts, and these aren't necessarily the most glamorous parts of the business, but everyone has to do it. And and you know, Zway early on said something which resonated with me, which was hey, at the start, you can just kind of throw bodies at it, but that becomes more and more challenging as your company scales. And at some point it just doesn't work anymore. And that's that's really what happened at Digital Bridge where we you know, we, we had grown uh, quite substantially 
And um, we had a we had Yardi around uh, the property operations, but not the overall corporate GNA and consolidation and all that kind of investment management portion of the business. And we got to a point where we had a number of public companies, you know, a, a lot more assets, a lot more challenges, just closing the books. And for us, what we, we we ended up in a spot as an investment manager where a lot of what we do is move money around. And so we actually didn't start with this ingestion and coding piece, which Predict AP focuses on, but more on the middle, the workflow piece, right? PayScan, Nexus, Avid, all of this, you know, people, we had people walking around with paper, right? And they would find people to sign it. And, you know, we, we process hundreds of thousands of payments a year. And that was, you know, an unimaginable amount of hours, hundreds of accountants that just walk around finding people with, to get a signature. So we initially focused on a quick win with AP workflow automation. From there, actually moving on, we use Kyriba as well. So, you know, uh, it was a good solution on uh, payment automation. There's a lot of great solutions on that. And that was a big chunk of the of the pain we felt around that. And we thought, hey, we invested a lot on this, this part. And this also, I think, brings up a point that any problem you can cut into smaller problems. So AP, you know, there's a lot of discrete problems in there and using uh, automation out there, using payment automation was great. But then we had a problem of, of in particular with real estate, how do you figure out the, the knowledge base? So back to Sunder's slide, thinking about, you know, we can leave it on here, but thinking about that RPA piece, which is, hey, moving stuff from here to there, we don't just think, you just do. But there's actually a, a real knowledge piece here that maybe is not appreciated, but RIP people know a lot. And it's something where there's a lot of information that's not on any paper. It's just they know, hey, it comes in for this deal. It gets split six ways and 10% goes here and 20% goes there. And it's just something that's just this tribal knowledge. And there's a lot of processes around companies where you may not appreciate that there's a lot of information on their head and there's not really tech supporting that. So if someone walks out the door, you're, you're in a real tough position. And that, that's where that's where this issue around uh, payments uh, became a real problem, where we had dealt with the downstream, but this problem around how do you get it properly coded, right? Not just getting invoice number in total. So you can do that with OCR. You can do that with RPA. You can do that with outsourcing. But how do you actually get, hey, this is how we, we, we allocate this expense across our company. And in our firm, and maybe in a lot of others, that ended up going up the chain where you'd ask managing directors or deal people, or how do, you, how do we code this bill? And that for us was a problem. And that's where we wanted to use this idea. I think Sunder mentioned it, understanding there's a lot of value in the, in the, in the data your company has is built over the years, right? We paid bills many, many times. And one of the hard things around ML is getting good annotated data. But we had the, the idea around, hey, every time you pay the bill, you have that perfect annotation. So can we use that to build a solution that deals with it? And that's how Predict AP was born. We tried everything, didn't really work. And, and you know, from that, we, we had the idea of using ML to, to really unlock the value of that historical invoice processing and dealing with that first piece in the process where the market really wasn't helping. And that, that, was, the, that was the crux of it. So, so did Digital Bridge spend uh, years on this? Is a, was, this, was this a big, long, involved project, a lot of fail, start, stop? Yeah, and there's you know part part of this for me is is uh, understanding the difference between building something in-house and and building like a true SaaS product. So doing it for a single company where you, you can kind of overfit things to a specific situation, you can pretty quickly find out if this is going to work or not. So you know we use some more off-the-shelf tools and and consultants uh, that that kind of proved out the concept, and it it, it very you know early on we knew that this was going to work. Um, and and back to Sunder's point of of understanding, okay, it's gonna work, but what does that mean to, to scale up and, and, and grow that very large? That's where, um, you know, understanding this was, um, you know, this was a, a really big problem that a lot of people had and, and the decision to, to make a company, um, you know, that that was understanding you're, you're gonna have to invest millions to scale up and make this work there. So 
doing it in-house as a custom thing is a different proposition than turning it into a, a SaaS product where there's a lot more architecture, infrastructure, socks, and all this other stuff that has to happen. And so for me, that was actually an interesting learning cycle of I'm used to building custom quick things for a company versus uh, the other hat of, of how do you turn that into a true SaaS business and the investment of time and money you have to put into that. Uh, that was a that was a, a you know pretty substantial undertaking, as you can imagine. Oh yeah, yeah, that sounds interesting. The, uh, the one of the things that came to mind as you were talking too is uh, there's a lot of companies that do invoice scanning. Uh, I think it's a way where it's just talking about you or you you're you're partnering with outsourcing. I think Inland uh, Sundar, you're you're yeah. you're outsourcing that as well. Why would companies want to trade that human effort, typically outsource, for an AI-based system that could uh, could break? Um, yeah. I, I, that's, yeah. That, that's the part that I would be most concerned about. Yeah, so actually, we and we also used an outsource service. So we, we, we used it for a number of years. And really what we found at the end of the day was outsource services tend not to have the company-specific knowledge. So they're, they're going to do a great job of opening the invoice up, looking at the invoice number, the total, the due date, put that on a sheet, similar to what RPA would do. It's, is it human or is it RPA, right? And that's the two options. What, what we found that they were not able to do was, again, getting to your company's nuance around, oh, okay, well, this building, it's in the camp pool, so code it this way. This building's vacant, so code it that way. And, and in, in, in real estate, there tends to be a lot of nuance with how the coding happens. What we found was having that, that, that outsource first pass we still had to touch every single one. And there's a lot of issues, a lot of errors, and, and, and it ended up costing a lot more time. And so the other option is you bring it in-house, but then you have the issue of, of filling these positions, retaining these people. Uh, and again, it's a very knowledge-intensive thing. So it takes months, if not years, to get people up to speed on how to do that. And if they walk the door, uh, walk out the door, that, that knowledge is gone. And so the AI part of this is it really augments your staff to, to take a, a really good uh, first pass at, at that knowledge intensive piece. And that's the that's the nuance and the, and, and the distinction. It's not putting invoice total and due date, if that was it, like there's thousands of good options on that between OCR and outsourcing. It's the knowledge base piece. If you think about Sunder's graph, that bottom part around taking that complicated thing that just says, you know, company X, right? But actually, no, it's these 12 buildings and it's 3% here and 10% there. And this, these two, it's this GL code, and these two, it's this GL code, and the dollars get split this way. It's a very hard knowledge-based thing, and turns out AI does a really good job with that. But you, you got you to gotta build up that model and build up that. You got to make it learn. Yeah. And all right, let's keep going. Keep going. Next slide. I think we just got a couple more slides here. And, yeah. And this is great point. Yeah. The, the fundamental around, around, you know, not necessarily AP, which is what this focus was, but on any problem, right? what's why is it a pain to the business you know understanding the impact it's going to have and and then figuring out is this something that you can uh that you can you can use technology or change in process or, or something to get better at because ultimately you have to be better than than what the alternative which is which is uh you know either people or or outsourcing or something like that i think the way this probably speaks to that idea of how did what what caused you to get started on a process when did it become you know come on your radar the idea of what, you know, there, there is something wrong, there's rising costs, it's straining our capacity. Uh, this, 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 this was similar for you. Right, yeah, definitely. A lot of times business came, uh, come to us and they will say, we have this painful process, it takes long, we handle this all manually, and then it's causing stress for our employees and we want to automate this. 
and then uh, um, we do a lot of times that's where we first start a conversation okay what options we have do we build this in in-house or do we integrate with uh, a SaaS platform or do we do a combination of the two um so definitely i think david too on this one i, I you know we talked a little bit earlier the idea of understanding the real problem some sometimes i i think there's a, a click before that to admit you have a problem that's what i was talking about before sometimes senior executives go oh yeah yeah that's not a problem we don't it's not a problem for us but you're like you you're looking at it going there's real opportunity here yeah absolutely and 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 a lot of times those problems don't don't bubble up right no one wants to admit there's issues or you don't want to tell a senior exec like this is a challenge but and we've seen this on, on, you know, predict AP, when you talk to people at a certain level, they're like, no, no, we pay our bills fine. And then you talk to the people actually doing the coding, like, listen, we're, we're swamped and we're barely keeping our head above water. And this is, this is painful. And, and I think that's, you know, that's, that's really it. And, and, you know, ultimately it's, it's understanding that there is an issue and what's the best tool to, to apply to it, to, to make, make, you know, to make this a better situation. And another, another, yeah, at the beginning of this, you talked about macro trends pushing this. And I think another one is, you know, there's issues around kind of finding and retaining good people now. And there's a question about what do you want your people doing? And I think no one is really excited about data entry, manual tasks and all that. So I think another nice part about all these projects is if you can start taking off some of these manual tasks from people, it's a lot more job satisfaction. You can have your people focus on higher value things that not only benefit the company more, but they like better, right? And so if, if, if a company A has their people typing all this stuff manually and company B is like, no, no, you're just going to figure out the hard to do problems. Like that's an advantage for the company. So I think that's another area where tech can help with this kind of current job situation around keeping employees happy and engaged and, and wanting to stay. Or a, or a potential employee coming from another organization, uh, they come to your uh, your organization and you're using these manual processes and they're going, wait, tell me again how we're doing this. Do you, do you want me to whip out my Commodore 64? Is that what we're is that where we're going? You know, exactly. so, Cinder, uh, th this describes your process as well. I think. Uh, can you repeat that question again? Uh, Mike? This, this describes your your understanding the process process, defining the outcomes, that partnership between technology and the business, and you you instead of even thinking about buying, you're actually talking about building the possibility of building in house. Uh, no, no, not always the case, uh, Chuck. I think, uh, you know, they, the way we look at it is like, if it's a small, you know, like, you know, when, when I joined the company, we had close to about 178 applications. Um, and because, you know, Inland actually had at the time, basically about four different reads, um, you know, that we had, you know, non-traded reads at the time. Since then we have kind of shrunk, not shrunk, like because they've, they've, they've gone through their life cycle. Um, Having said that, like I think from our perspective, what we were trying to actually achieve is where does these particular processes will help without adding more to the technology portfolio we have? So we reduced our technology platform significantly, but at the same time, we wanted to make sure if a process that a or a problem that a a business had, we wanted to see if it can fit within the systems that we had. If it didn't, only then we actually looked at ways to actually do it. But these these other things, like uh, we actually said, like in us, what David was talking about, I want we wanted to keep our employees, you know, happy and basically looking at new how how to use newer technologies, right? And then provide 
a value to our business. And that's how that particular process came about. Yeah, okay, great, great. All right, uh, uh, Ian, I think you can kill the slides. I wanted to bring Zoe back in because there's something I've been just dying to get more information on, and that's this idea of your treasury process enhancements, how, mm -hmm. how you went through that, uh, and and was RPA successful, and, and is it still successful, or have you had, did it break? And let's talk about your, uh, yeah, that the, your treasury process. Right. So the, our RPA, we have RPA in multiple areas. Uh, we started uh, our um, journey with RPA three, four years ago. We first started with something small, just a handle a clothes, and that was successful. And then we did a couple, a couple other smaller ones, and um, and they were accepted well by the business. So and then we eventually figured out our recovery process was a very long painful and involved a lot of accountants in that's an annual process that every real estate company has to do that and um it, it would took a long time it was very manual and it, people were working excel spreadsheets they run reports and all that and then after evaluating the process we determined uh, not every parts can be automated you always want to automate the highly structured step-by-step -step and clear decision-making, uh, those kind of tasks. So we did. We decided in that whole process, cert, at some point, when you call to, you already reviewed everything, um, your billing is finalized, and now it's ready to bill. And after that, it's a very step-by-step, -step, highly structured, all that team that task and that made the most sense to automate so that's um how we started building our ball to handle cam and tax reconciliation and it has been very successful it saves the team more than four thousand hours as we estimated and it cut down the reconciliation process by months so now i don't think we can live without those balls anymore <laughs> Right. Okay. So, so again, I just want to highlight again the viewing mm -hmm. audience here. Uh, what a what a treasure when you can you, you call up Zue and say, "How did you do it?" Uh, and uh, you know, to to and connect again at at a real com event or be able to find have, be part of that community and be able to interact. Yeah, um, did, it, did it result in headcount reduction or shuffling around or how? What was the and and um, yeah, it didn't really uh, cut out any employees at the time. And uh, what happens and during the reconciliation season, it, at some point, it's just all hands on deck. Almost half the accounting team will get involved. And once we have the RPA process in place, those people, uh, those employees just don't need to be involved anymore. They can focus on their time and effort on their daily jobs and focus on a new effort new pursuit the department want to have and also over the time there's always a turnover in the in any business right so um and the those positions didn't necessarily need to be refilled and the department uh, eventually uh, is become smaller not necessarily from this one automation obviously it's going to be multiple other process automation David, you had the uh, kind of the same situation where you had an extremely manual process, and now you're introducing the idea of automation to reduce not just man hours, but potentially even you know the labor, potentially headcount. 
Yeah, so it's it's I mean every company's different and and you know I, I I'd say with with you know digital bridge and changes over time, um, that that process of paying bills that was you know that that was hundreds of thousands of man hours that's that's taken out and so you know now digital bridge is 60 billion in assets and it's a fraction of the of the staff that was there before. Back to your point at the start, you don't need like adding one building, adding two people, right? Like the the purpose of technology is that you grow exponentially and you have little steps of, of uh, you know, people that have to come in. I'll say on the other side, um, in, in my experience with, with uh, Predict is, is to Zway's point, there's no, uh, we've actually yet to see a company that's excited about cutting heads. It's it's the fact that yeah. it's hard to find good qualified people. Yeah. And and also um, the, there's a mindset shift between the, the the cam process where it's like just process right just get it through or the invoices here's a thousand invoices just just get them in the system as opposed to being able to step back and having some thought and knowledge like when it comes to cybersecurity or fraud or things like that you don't want people just to be data entry machines trying to get through their thousand invoices you want them to focus on the 20 that looks suspicious or strange or maybe you follow up on that so that the the role shifts from just you know human rpa right to value add and thinking through and it's like why why is cam why are we not recovering right here this in this building or something like that so um you know i think a lot of firms are are looking to to maximize what they're able to do with people and some firms are looking to you know maybe they're they're so inefficient they have more than they need and and you you, you kind of get that that direct gna cost but I, I think more you know the expectation is you do a lot more with less and you get a lot better result too and that leads to savings and avoided issues and avoided you know fraudulent payments and all that other stuff that comes from people being able to really analyze what they're what they're doing day to day did it uh, back to the way real quick the, the the process that you automated with rpa is it a set it and forget it kind of thing or do you constantly have to be evaluating or does it tell you when something breaks or you when 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 does it start to say when do you realize we, we something's wrong we have to that something is is not processing correctly or something changed in the system our RPA process isn't working. How, how are you detecting that? Right, so the process we built in that we uh, have multiple error notifications sent to a, uh, to an email account to notify us that something is, say, um, it failed or there's an error that requires attention. So we know we can go in. Normally, we don't pay much attention to it. It just automatically runs on the, on its own. But if it um, pauses at some point, we know we can, we know to, um, interfere the process and also um, you you previously uh, asked me if it broke and what we learned uh, yes it did it broke multiple times and our knowledge that over the time as we involve um, we use a process we learn more and our knowledge grew more and our approach evolved as well um, when we first built our bots we mimic how the individual interacts with our systems. You open a folder, you click a button on the screen, and you run a report, et cetera. And over the time, we learned if MRI goes through an upgrade, the buttons can shift around, and now your bot breaks because it doesn't know where to click that button anymore. Right. So now we, we learn different approaches that we're actually undergoing uh, this year and will go into next year that to modify our bots to be more robust and uh, less error prone that we, if we can under, um, we can go behind the scenes to run a query, to insert records and to obtain any data, we'll do it that way. And that tends to go faster as well. 
I, I think I want to, uh, it's, it, it's like being the professor at college and you want to wave your hand and go, this is a test question. You need to have a development environment, a test environment yep. and a production environment, and they need right. to be very far apart from each other. So, right. Yeah. So we I have that soon, process built in the CICD. Yeah, exactly. Sundar, uh, I, I, I want to talk a little bit more about processes that break. And I think some of the ones that you tested and you, you decided it wasn't, it wasn't what you wanted to go forward. Uh, but the, um, uh, the ones that are working, how, how do you how do you keep them updated? Sure. Uh, so we have a monitor. So every day in the morning, uh, at about six a.m. in the morning, I get an email, and this is a, not only just the processes that we have, but all across all the systems that we have. Um, so we get a, a notification saying, you know, all the systems are up and running. You know, no issues, kind of thing. Um, on top of it, we also be, you know, there are things that we look for, like, and if there is, you know, most of the times the system is, you know, the process works the way that it needs to. Um, when you add in additional criteria, uh, the process it changes a little bit. That's when the system will not be able to know what it needs to do. So that's when it basically stops or it basically creates an error. So when we see that it stops or it is not it uh, the processing time takes a little longer we do get some alerts that we then will basically take a look into so that's basically how we've been monitoring and go about doing it did did inland look at uh, a common process that everybody on this call has is onboarding and offboarding not just people but also properties right um is, is that one that lends itself to process automation yeah, we do. Uh, so, for example, like, you know, we have something, you know, when we onboard a property, um, we we have, a, you know, like one of the challenges, you know, we looked at like, you know, once we came on board, we saw that we were seeing the same issue over and over again. Right. So, for example, you had like laptops or like the network that was there that was not compatible with our services. Um, things that were basically had. So what we did is we said, anytime we approached, anytime when the company went forward, we called it property in a box. So here are the 10 different things that the company basically, you know, we basically assign that as an expense when they, these people are actually going forward and say, we'll replace all their laptops. So we'll replace all their, you know, network infrastructure and other things. So these are things that we already have in place. And as the due diligence is happening and before they, as soon as it's signed off, we are out there in the at, the at the property and changing that. So that's a process that's a little bit manual, but also, you know, uh, defined and, and, and is moving forward. David, um, you, uh, uh, David you obviously, I've, I've looked at your website and you've got a lot of, a great big team. And so this onboarding, offboarding is, is an issue for you, not necessarily with properties, but certainly with people. Are you using similar technology with that in-house business process? Yeah. So, you know, on the, on the, on the predict side, um, you know, it, it, it's interesting because it's a virtual company. So figuring out how to do that well, and that's a new, you know, new, a new phenomenon in, in the last few years where not everyone's in the same office in the same place. And it's a great opportunity because you can kind of pull talent that's great across the country, but it's also a challenge in how do you get them all to work well. And I think one of the, you know, one of the things we did uh, did effectively 
was focus on what's the infrastructure you need to make that work, right? And so the way we build our tech stack, the way we get people on board, the way we use our hardware and software without the tools we use, it was a it was a thought out process for that goal. And it's interesting that you know it's 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 extremely competitive now with hiring talent and especially tech talent. And and one of the things that I I didn't really appreciate was making that investment and being able to demonstrate to new employees that hey. We, we, we have thought this out. We have a process like, you know, you're going to come in tomorrow. You'll be working like we have something where all of our tech guys are promoting code for a stay. Right. And it's a way all that works together to have a little job come in on Jira and it gets pushed through and you're able to to, to, to promote that and test and all that. It's something that's been actually very effective uh, in helping us get good talent because they're used to a lot of, you know, a lot of headaches and and, and kind of our antiquated systems and, and don't necessarily want to deal with it. So. It is something that um, there's benefits just because it's a Sunders point. You know, if you don't do it, stuff just doesn't work. You can spend so much time chasing your tail, hitting all the variables about why it can't work, right? So you're getting rid of that. And then also, it's it's been uh, great in, in finding the people that appreciate that that maybe that's the deciding factor if they're they're deciding to do places. So virtual teams, uh, teams meetings, Zoom Zoom calls is a part of your life. Yeah, yeah it I'll, is. Yes, yeah, sorry. sorry. Go ahead. That's, Go ahead, David. Yeah, yeah, no, it, it is. And, and and also the mix of when you get together, right? So, you know, there's, there's a, you can't, you you know, the, the, nothing replaces sitting down for, for dinner at some place. And so when do we do that, right? But but how do we effectively do that? And what, when do we use what tool, right? What's what's on Zoom, what's on Slack? You know, what, what should we do in person, you know, a couple of times a year and all that. So that, that's part of, that's part of that. And I think there's a lot of change that's happening in the world now with, with figuring out how, to, what the right combination of all those things is. And, and I think that's 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 really been accelerated with with, with COVID. Well, we saw, Cinder, we saw that interesting statistic, and a lot of people, and we'll we'll get into before uh, before I let the time run out. I definitely want to get into the ES a little bit on ESG and net carbon, but the uh, work work from home, hybrid work, come back to the office. People, if 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 this was the way we worked together, and I was and and I had to drive to an office to get on a Zoom or a Teams or a Slack call and I could shut my door and do that and then leave and I never ran into anybody there there was no reason for me to drive in right not not whatsoever are you making the offices are you transforming the offices in a way that they become a a destination as as people are using that term a a neighborhood where you can work here or you know when your team is going to be in the office or you know when a person you need to contact is going to be in the office and you're starting to integrate that how is that how are you using software to automate that function so um you know we invested a lot in technology even before the pandemic hit. so all the technologies that we had as soon as we went into you know like in march of 2020 you know it was a you know because they were already used to you know, it was an easy transition for the business users and for the company as a whole. Now that people are coming back in, we are still in a hybrid mode. So, you know, some people are there like five days of the week. Some people are there three days of the week. Uh, IT team is there two days out of the week. But the way we actually done is like we keep all the resources available for these users uh, from from a you know if they have an issue they can at least call in and basically we we are able to do most of the work remotely for them um, and and by doing so we have a campus of buildings and one of the things that we are realizing is like do we need all these campus like buildings uh, available 
could we actually now be able to shrink into one area, right? So, um, you know, basically having a concept of hoteling that we could actually move forward. So that way you can reduce your real estate space and then do it for something else and then move into, uh, you know, co-working and other things, right? So the concept that we're looking into and not, not moved forward yet. Has, uh, and, and as a way, I'm going to come to you next, but I want to, Sundar, has the um, the IT and the OT group merged, or in in your in your section, are they are they starting to uh, work on the data issues, uh, the the risks, the association together now? Is how we always have been we always been as a part single single uh, single group together. Um, you know, as a group, we basically you know even before the pandemic, we were one group. You know, during the pandemic, you know, you know, when when the pandemic hit, it was easy transition for us um, because we were already close and one group together. And then coming out, it is still the same. So it's basically been, you know, we work with them closely, uh, you know, and we actually work together as one team. Is the way how did first of all how did the pandemic uh, affect any changes in your uh, company's work uh, culture and structure? And uh, how, how, what's the relationship between the IT and the OT part? Uh, so uh, similar to Sundar just mentioned that we already had some infrastructure, like everybody had laptop prior to pandemic. So it was easy for us to manage everybody working from home at that point and continue forward. And com company culture wise definitely has some shift that uh, there was a big emphasis emphasis on working in the office if you can we have we also we always had property managers and leasing uh, agents working offset um, but most people are in Cincinnati our headquarter uh, but over the time there are people there's uh, push from employees some people just want to come back to office some some people don't want to come back to the office some people want to come back to office but not all the time so now the company embraces uh, hybrid workplace uh, more, and we start noticing that we want to hire people. Uh, we're open to hire remote associates now going forward. So infrastructure-wise, we definitely want to uh, make sure it's secure. We want to make sure uh, our VPN is easy to use. We Our VPN was a little clunky at the in, uh, beginning of the pandemic, and then we we now implemented a better VPN and also invested a lot in cybersecurity, both awareness and also infrastructure wise. And lots of projects went through this year. And also from automation perspective, we also want to embrace um, um, people work on mobile to just to help them out to make it even easier. Previously, if we build something in MRI, then people got to log on in MRI. If you are traveling, you are using your phone, it's just not very convenient. Now we're, we started using uh, one tool we started using and it's very well received. That's adaptive card that we can embed in Outlook. So people can check their message and if it's a quick decision, they can make decision there. So uh, that, that, that has been a success. You, you you brought up uh, a topic that I that I'm going to shift to because again I'm, I keep watching the time click off here and I just want to get to everything cybersecurity 
you, you mentioned uh, when you when you begin automating these processes and uh, mm -hmm. uh, now they they become more susceptible to 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 a, a, a virus hacking malware uh, is could that be a barrier of entry for some people to say I, I don't mind uh, you know David having the mind, mind having the processes being more manual because the pe people they might get sick but they're not going to get a malware virus right it's not going to introduce a problem where I come in and now the whole system is down right right yeah so I did you, what did you do with that Zoe? It's definitely a concern, um, and it's a valid concern that in nowadays, especially, uh, it has been this case, but seems a pandemic somehow, um, we'll see more spamming emails and different tactics that people want to swindle people, that hack people, that um, malware to lock down your system, uh, uh, ransomware all over. We see a lot on the internet, and. Um, it's, it's really a different challenge for you to manage. You do manually, your process doesn't work, uh, doesn't break, but you also have to invest a lot in human power, the time and effort. You also deal with the struggles. And um, I can't imagine anybody is doing things with pen and pa paper, hopefully yeah. not. But if you are using Excel, it's still not 100% secure. Right. Our automation, we do have, uh, we invest in a lot of, uh, security, as a matter of fact, that uh, we just went through um, segregation duty project this year to make sure people are properly segregated. They cannot do what they are not supposed to do. And in the past couple months, we went through another effort to secure our screens to make sure if people only are supposed to view a screen, can do they do they actually can click a button or can they input on screen to make sure our customizations are secure enough that people can only do what they're supposed to do. And also it's just, you know, new exercises you can do like tabletop exercises to improve people's awareness that what, if you look at the email doesn't look right, just don't click them. And our company roll out a phishing campaign periodically just to see who falls for those emails and, and provide proper education. It's different approaches with different challenges that we, we, we have the tools to address them. And I really, um, I'm passionate, I'm biased, I think I'm passionate for automation and efficiency improvement. So I think that's the right way to go in today's world. All right, you mentioned the tabletop exercise. You recently did one, how did that go? It went well. Uh, I wasn't personally involved. In it. I spoke with the head of our, our head of cybersecurity. It was our new um, exercise. It, it's new to the company, and there are uh, key takeaways. And um, we are going to address uh, adjust our policies accordingly, out, um, according to the outcome of the discussion. And it's something that we'll uh, continue to do going forward. Okay. Yeah. All right. That, 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 that's and which is exactly what the tabletop exercise is designed to do. Uh, fl flush out the flaws. David, I want to come back to the the the, the malware, the cyber piece. Yeah. No. It's it's it's, it's, la it's layers and layers of things, right? You you have technical things to you know anti malware, all that stuff. You have training. You have phishing campaigns. You, you know any good security program has you know belts, suspenders, jacket, like every every single possible thing. And I think the the, the fundamental part is humans 
can be the strongest or weakest part of the process. And you may have all the technology locks in the world, but if your people, you know, don't aren't aren't doing the right thing, that's the biggest risk that you have. And I think automation helps in this, you know, because again, it gets them out of a I'm a data entry person chugging and just trying to get through my day because I'm so busy, as opposed to, oh, I'm I'm looking out for problems, right? I have time to say, you know what, this is suspicious and I can actually focus on the things that are suspicious, not my boss is killing me to get this cam wreck done. I'm just pushing it through, or I'm, 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 you know, I'd have to get my 10,000 invoices through. I'm just, I'm just entering, right? And that's where I think the proper combination of technology to stop things, of automation to help free up work to again get people out of this just, you know, handwork into headwork and thinking about where can I add value and where can I spot problems to escalate them. I think that's where the great combination is, um, and that, you know, that that's what you need is is the, is the, is the right tool in the right place. Is a, a software development company like yours also doing a tabletop exercise to explore these uh, potentials of what, what happens if on 2 a.m. on a Sunday, all of a sudden you can't get, no, all these remote people can't get in? Yeah, that, that, that's a big part of it. Again, it goes back to when you're, you know, a lot of time spent, you know, Sunders talks about the the tools that tell you what's going on. You know, I, we, we've spent a lot of time on tooling, on all these issues that can happen, you know, in AWS and, you know, understanding from day one that we're going to have public company, you know, institutional clients that expect a certain level of, of control and reliability going from SOC 2 at the very start, even though it's a very expensive, you know, intense process, but going through not just uh, what can go wrong, having all the tooling you can to try to prevent and to acknowledge and to, and to see these issues, and then having you know actual laid out plans and exercises where we sit down and say, okay, this happened, that happened, what do we do? How do we respond? Um, absolutely, it's a part of, of doing this right. And, and it's again, not, a, not something that ever really shows itself until that thing happens, but I think that's what really differentiates a lot of firms is did you do that work so that it's it's a, a 30 minute problem, not a 12 day problem where you're, you know, that's right. where you got Ser serious issues. Sundar, the t tabletop exercising, what happens when your systems are locked up? Because if, if we automate, automate everything, that was what was at the beginning of what we started right. to talk about. Now, nothing's working. Uh, uh, is is your company going through these the same idea of these tabletop exercises on the technology level and on the business level? Like how how do we communicate with investors? How what's our marketing strategy? What legally what do we have to do? Who what vendors do we have to call in? Yeah, we actually went through it last year, uh, the first time around. So basically, we got everyone um, from the senior management, like you know, uh, from us, from the presidents of the various groups, all the way to our CEO and the shared services groups uh, that were basically there. Uh, and we had a third party actually walk us through a particular scenario, which was a ransomware thing. And we basically, you know, they walked us through and how we would actually engage. And the score that we got was pretty high, right? So, um, so which was pretty good. But having said that, I think we did not want to sit on our uh, you know, laurels like you know we got a high score. We basically wanted to see what were things that in a situation like that, how would you actually proceed, right? So when no one is there to say, okay, if this happens, this is what you do, this is what happens, right? So now we are creating like a procedure kind of a thing. With regards to your systems, uh, one of the things that we have is um, we actually not only have security at the at the application level, we also have it at a perimeter level. What I mean by that is only assigned users that basically, you know, using zero trust, um, basically 
coming in only users that have that particular thing can be able to access that. And as far as the business processes goes, those are behind the scenes. So these are you know, specific system related accounts. And even then those system related accounts have to go through a, um, an MFA to actually get that to move forward. So it is not like, you know, there are many checks and balances and I agree with what David said, no matter how many systems and processes you put in place, you have to always look for when it is going to happen. Right. How right. well are you actually there to actually get over that particular process? So that's how I would look at it from our perspective. I, I want to touch on something in our last few minutes, and Sundar, I'll stay with you here on this. Uh, carbon uh, accounting tools are just hit flooding the market now. And yep. companies, especially New York, there's this New York Law 97 that there's going to be uh, mandates of reporting uh, e uh, net carbon goals. Uh, executives' compensation and bonus structures are, are based on meeting those goals. Um, the SEC is likely to disclose reporting requirements in 24 that is going to have to refer to data that's collected in 23 coming up th this coming year. When we think about automation, when we think about software that's going to have to be pulled together, what's inland thinking in this area of net carbon zero? Um, and you can even tie it into some of the IoT devices in the buildings. You know, if you're if you're pulling data from energy and lighting and and, and indoor air quality and systems and all that, what's what's your thoughts on that from from inland's perspective? You know, as I said, like at the at the start, like you know, in uh, earlier. Uh, we are still in our infancy um, of actually, we just started on this particular process. Now we know that we need to have a strategy in place. And the first thing that we looked at is like looking at our policies just to make sure everything was right. So once you have your policies there, then you can actually go to the next step of how do you actually report these things? And the tools that we were looking at is because our ERP is Yardi, Yardi actually has something that's inbuilt um, you know, I'm pretty sure MRI has the same thing too, uh, wherein they can actually take your data, which is still in spreadsheets, you pull the data, put it through their energy module that they have, and then it's sent out to Gresby, which then scores you with a score that you basically can move forward with. And I think that basically will actually help in seeing what your targets are as to when you'll be carbon net neutral. What about uh, Phil? Go, oh, sorry. Go ahead, Sander. So that's basically where we are at this point. Uh, you know, we are not there yet to actually, you know, that's an area that would be of interest. Uh, you know, as we look through, you know, for example, how are you pulling all this data into spreadsheets? How can you automate that process, right? Yeah. Uh, and IoT devices, when they're pulling this data, how can you actually put that and then provide that information. So that's where I can see a lot of automation related processes that we can build in. And I'm pretty sure even the groups like Yardi and MRI will also be spending more money on that. Completely agree. We're actually, I've designed two webinars uh, for next year, focused specifically on what it is, scope one, scope two, scope three, carbon uh, credits, uh, carbon offsets, how do you measure, what's to be measured, how does it mm -hmm. get accounting? And then start pulling in some case studies of people who are actually doing it. I just saw my old company just got a a, a rating of five on their on on some of their New York buildings. So I'm interested in interviewing them. Zoe, what about Phillips Edison? 
what are you thinking about as far as automating that uh, carbon collection or detection collection uh, reporting? Uh, so far, we're also in in the very infancy stage of this um, effort. I, um, so we we this year we built up um, we actually built an inside MRI. Um, just because we're so early in the process, we are not using MRI tool yet. We um, built module for um, for now. It's just a data input when we when the property management team when they if they um, replace lighting or uh, HVAC units or that equipment, they have a way to um, measure the old equipment uh, compared to the new equipment. So we can, we have those data storage and also some reporting of it. And next year we have another um, enhanced, rounds of enhancement to the current module. And, but I do think, I do see this area is the focus of next year. One of the focuses next year, we're looking to hire um, lead in, in the ESG effort. So it's gonna be an interesting area as we um, evolve and, and be interested in learning more and also hearing more from Cinder about your effort in your company. There you go. Last, David, uh, last, last thought before I close it up. Yeah, I mean, ESG is the, the way of the future. I think that the, the, the driving factor oftentimes is LPs, right? And, and I know, in, you know, Digital Bridge with a lot of, uh, you know, we're raising, uh, we, we just raised a fund last year and that, that this was some, some LPs say we want to, we want to know this information and we require it. And a lot of times, you know, the, the tech drive can be from, uh, from the LP saying we want this information. Obviously there's government requirements and other things, but, um, and, and I, and Sundar, I think it's totally on the mark where Yardi, MRI, you know, all, all of those will be making substantial investment. We actually used it um, for industrial platform. We sold to Blackstone. We used Yardi Energy Services. It was, you know, had, it was good and it's it's getting better. And they're, you know, now on the digital side, they're starting to get into energy management around data centers and other things where those are big, big energy users. So I would expect we definitely see a lot of, uh, a lot more around ESG and energy usage and, and all the, you know, the carbon tracking. Uh, I think that's definitely a way of the future. Well, it'll be a big, a big topic. Uh, again, uh, excellent conversation. Thank you to all the panelists for your contributions today. Lots of information to process. I, I hope for all the people that have watched this, uh, you know, collectively here live, and and those that are watching it as a recording. Uh, uh, just a special thanks to the live audience for participating. I uh, would like you, if you'd like to get more involved in the Realcom community, as we mentioned. As an advisor, a speaker, a panelist, just reach out to me or any of the Realcom team members. And whether you've joined this live or are watching it as a recording, thank you again for tuning in. Be sure to register for our third webinar in the CRE Tech Innovation Series. It's Intelligent Building Technologies. Great panel. I think you're going to find the discussion just as incredible as this. That's one week from today, December 15th. I would say it's... Uh, it's also never too soon to register for uh, for Realcom Ivycom. Um, they uh, are celebrating their 25th year coming up. And I just want to emphasize their tagline. It's 25 years at the intersection of commercial and corporate real estate, technology, automation, which we spent a lot of time talking about, and innovation. Great way to get involved in the community. Um, do, uh, do consider registering for that. You'll see many of the people that you saw on this panel and many, many of the webinars there. It's at uh, Las Vegas at Seagulls Palace in mid-June. Go to the website and register. And we just wish you all well as we wrap up this year. We've got one more webinar this year and great schedule for next. So 
Uh, with that, I'll close. Thank you again to our panelists. Be safe and uh, Godspeed. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, everyone. Bye.